Talk YA now presents Lady Smoke, Part 2, from the Ash Princess Trilogy by Laura Sebastian. to MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished the second book in the Ash Princess Trilogy by Laura Sebastian. This book was called Lady Smoke. Yep. <laughs> I never know what to say after you introduce it. I don't know why. I'm like, you're right. That is what we read. <laughs> I always set you up to like have to come up with like the next amazingly cool thing to say, which is not fair. <laughs> no, but also it's like we do this every single week. Like it's just funny how I can get into bad routines too with like if we like change up something or it's funny. We've been doing this for what? This is year four mm-hmm. and I'm still like, oh yeah, how do I transition from there? <laughs> Well, we left off on chapter, well, there was a bit of a discrepancy. So I left off on chapter picnic and Kay left off on chapter (laughs) practice because she follows directions better than I do. Um, But luckily nothing really much happened in that chapter that I missed. So we're good. It it was funny though. I like couldn't remember where the chapter had ended and I like didn't want to give anything away. So I feel like I just like backed up in my mind like four chapters and then you like said something last week and I was like, oh, you know that? (laughs) (laughs) Surprise. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so I'm trying to remember the predictions we made. So I'm glad that we have left the bachelor situation. <laughs> as fun as it was. Yeah, but we didn't want to get stuck there. And we really weren't there much longer than the halfway point. No, because all of a sudden, these suitors started getting poisoned. Everyone died. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that was very shocking because... At first, I was like, okay, are we targeting the suitors? Are we targeting Theo? Like, who is poisoning who? And Is it the Kaiser? Is it right. not? Yeah. And the Archduke was the first victim. Oh, but I did love, and I don't know if it's just, I feel like my just attitude with the world right now has been different with books. Like, I, like, am way more into certain, like, hopeful, happy storylines than I usually am. But I love that the Archduke was almost the answer to our prayers, where he was like, yeah, I don't need to marry you. I just want this chess set. Like, I'm a great, like, strategic military leader, and you can have my army. Cool. (laughs) And it's like, okay. Like, and I knew something obviously was going to happen as soon as he said that, because we have a book and a half left to go. Yeah, too good to be true. But it, my heart went on quite a journey this second half of the book. I agree. And I love how we found out, because I was noticing how... Her aunt, like, refused the wine in that scene, so... Oh, Dragon's Bane? Yeah, Dragon's Bane. Mm-hmm. They were cheersing, and, like, the the slave girl or whatever came up and, like, poured wine in the two cups, and then Dragon's Bane refused, and I was like, oh my goodness, Dragon's Bane poisoned. The poisoner? Ooh. Yeah. Um, which was false, but I definitely, like, took note of the fact that she turned it down, and I was like, oh man, she knows, or she, you know, is involved wasn't her but well she was involved in a not in the poisoning but we learned that she was she like made a deal with king aristo and and the entire time i was wondering like why is this king helping her like yeah like what does he get out of this and so we finally learned that dragon's bane or db as i like to refer to her in my notes 
um, <laughs> has been giving him water stones because apparently his country is like in the middle of a drought and everyone's very thirsty. And yeah. so he's been getting these water gems from Dragon's Bane. And then he's also been collecting money from all of the suitors and promising each suitor that Theo will marry him or her. <laughs> so they all have, they're all running a racket around uh, Theo's hand in marriage. I also love, we learned one other thing about Dragon's Bane, um, which was that she knew that the Kaiser and co. were coming to Astria yeah. and warned the her mother, the twin, the old queen. And right. although, to be fair, we've also since discussed that even with warning and preparation, they would have been defeated and it probably would have been longer and more brutal. Um, it still has kind of marred the image that... Theo had of her mom and the kind of ruler that she was and, and whatnot so yeah she lost she essentially lost Astria because she didn't listen to her sister and called her a liar and I, I also I liked that idea of like Dragon's Bane basically said like you're lucky that you don't have to ever see your mom as human or like you can consider her like mm-hmm. a perfect queen and she kind of tells her this story to be like no one's perfect not even your mother but like you'll never have that moment where you have to like look in your mother's eyes and realize that she's flawed. Mm -hmm. Which I kind of really, I I thought that was just like a poignant moment. And it was so interesting because we also watch Dragon's Bane and her relationship with her daughter Art and how they've definitely... Struggled. (laughs) Yeah, struggled through that. But then um, you also kind of see there's still hope for redemption there. And it did kind of make me think like in some ways, yes... I mean, no one wants their parents to die when they're young, but there there was something in what Dragon's Bane said about, like, you know, when you're little, like, your parents are, like, superheroes and can't do anything mm-hmm. wrong and whatnot. And then there is, I think, a phase as, like, uh, teenagers and young adults where you, yeah, start to notice they're human and, like, break away and, like, form your own identity and all this stuff. But I do think there's also a point in the maturing cycle where you you see that they're human, but you also see that they, like, tried their best or, you know, whatever, and yep. um, kind of get that piece. And it's actually like, oh, it really sucks if, if, you, if you're in that second phase, right? Like, in the first mm-hmm. phase, at least you, like, end on a good note. But what if things end on the second phase before you're able to, like, make peace with it? That would be the worst. And I think that um, it's interesting to see Art and Dragon's Bane struggle with each other because I, I just wonder how much of it is Art's, Um, assuming things about her mother because she assumes that her mother dislikes her because Art did something and that's what got her and her brother kidnapped and sent to the mines and then her brother died while Mm -hmm. he was down there and Art was the one who survived and so Art believes that her mother kind of resents her for not bringing her brother back out alive but I wonder if that's actually true or if that's just Art assuming the worst like I can't imagine a mother would hold that sort of resentment against a child, but... Yeah, I agree. Maybe subconsciously she does a little bit, and Art's, like, picking up on that. But I'm, I want them to have, like, a... I want them to reconcile with each other. And I think slash hope they will, even if it is on one of their deathbeds or something. Like, I I, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if one or both of them die throughout the series, but I hope before that happens or even in that moment, there's, like, forgiveness and acceptance there. But I I do, to your point, I think there's just like, again, lack of communication because I'm sure that the mother, like maybe it's hard for her to look at Art and maybe it like reminds her that her son died. And I don't think she, I would find it odd if she like blamed Art for it, but there might be still something, some complicated emotions there that they've never unpacked. 
Mm-hmm. Or it even could be, like, now that she's lost one child, she's just, like, it's her coping mechanism or something to, like, keep her at a distance or, like, keep her, you know, focus on, like, survival skills and stuff right. like that. Self-preservation almost. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. I, lo- I love how, and I said this last time and probably the time before and probably the time before, I just love the backstory of all the secondary characters. I feel like there's so many well-developed three-dimensional characters in this book, and I love mm-hmm. that there are very few purely good or purely evil people and you can kind of Mm -hmm. understand the motivations of everyone and even though they don't all align it like um it just makes it so much richer of a story i agree and it like it prevents people from becoming just like archetypes right Mm -hmm. like the reluctant hero the love triangle like the care like you said the characters are much deeper and also just like i think that speaks to the talent of the writer herself like I think a lot of times in the YA books we read, it's rare to find a book that is like very well paced and has an excellent plot and really good characters and is also very beautifully written or just like very well written. Like I think we read a lot mm-hmm. of books that, you know, have great character development, have great plots, but but the words don't really stick with me or like the writing itself isn't anything really special. Um, but I mm-hmm. actually really think Laura Sebastian takes time to like craft really good sentences and come up with really good metaphors that like have stuck with me. And I really appreciate that when I'm reading. Like mm-hmm. there was something where she said um, the word home is like spun sugar, sweet but delicate or like sweet but fragile. And I was like, oh, I really like like that's beautiful. And I, I always mm-hmm. appreciate stories that are well written in addition to having um, the other things we like. Yeah, and I think what you said is also interesting from the pacing and character development side. Like, I think think we also read a lot of books that either have a well-done plot or good characters, and it's kind of rare that we find one that does both at the same time really Uh well. And I think think that's what I really appreciate, because I don't feel like we're being lectured to at any point, Mm. and I feel like the action is moving and the scene is changing, but I do feel like we're getting not just character development for the main characters, but so many secondary characters, but in a way where it doesn't feel like we're... I don't know sometimes I feel like it's just so forced almost to get like a secondary character story mm-hmm. in there but like I feel like the conversations make sense and like the slow reveal of some of the stuff or like the way we like even Heron and Eric's yeah. like thing and like, I don't know just like there's just a lot of I just yeah the pacing with the character development is so it just works really really well so well done mm-hmm. I'm so excited for Eric and Heron to maybe get together I know except I don't know what this says about me. Every relationship, I'm like, only one of them is going to survive. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know which one, but either Eric, like, if they get together, they're, if they have their moment, like, one of them is going to die. Like, I'm like, everyone doesn't have a happy ending in this book, in this world. But, uh, but yeah. Um, can I, like, jump ahead just in relation to that about happy endings and, and whatnot? Sure. Um, near the end of this book... We actually get to see the Kaiser killed by his wife, Cress. Oh my god. And we did predict that we were going to see Cress by the end of this book. Yeah. And we got a showdown. And I was hoping that we'd see her, like, actually having power or, you know, but I was not expect. it felt so fast. And it's just kind of crazy. I did not think that by the second book, the Kaiser would be dead and relatively quickly and that Crest would be, like, the only enemy left. I love it. I though. love it, too. I love it. And I'm, like, I'm so, so excited. Yeah, I feel like it surprised me in a good way, too, which, like, um, mm-hmm. I, like, sort of predicted aspects of it, but I was not thinking that would happen in this book. 
at all. Well, I I kind of am I'm glad. I, I didn't expect it either, but I'm super glad that the Kaiser is out of the way because he was almost becoming like tiresome to me. Mm-hmm. And and Cress is just such a more interesting villain because like you said, she is multifaceted. She's not all bad. She, you know, has this past with Theo that makes her more exciting. Um, and I just love that, like, it, it all ties back to Theo, who was like, one day I'm going to watch the Kaiser's body turn to ashes. And Crest is just like, boom, you're ashes. <laughs> she just <laughs> burns him in the space of, like, ten seconds. And I think it is a great development for her, mm-hmm. for Crest, because she went from being this, like, very flighty girl to, like, marrying the kaiser which i'm sure was not fun just in a play to get power and i love that she had the ability to kill him the entire time mm-hmm. and was just waiting for an audience with theo to do it like you have to be so strong and so like conniving and evil to like put yourself through hell just to get your revenge at the exact time you want to yeah and <laughs> kind of to your point of her being just a more interesting villain because there is still this part at least of me as a reader and I think of Theo as a character who wants that redemption for her too you know like we don't like it was easy to hate the Kaiser right Mm -hmm. like he was a bad guy he needed to die but I don't know if I want Crest to die or if I want her to somehow what I think will happen and what I want to happen I guess are two different things but it's not just like with the Kaiser it was easy to be like yep he needs to go he's like terrible he's not helping anybody like that's bad and not that Crest is helping anybody but she was a true friend in some ways, to Theo at a very vulnerable time in her life. Mm -hmm. And you can understand where her anger comes from, because can you even imagine? And I don't know, it's just, it's going to be interesting to see her develop and how she handles everything going forward. So what do you think is going to happen with the whole gift scenario? Because we have, like, a big part of this book was dealing with the gifts that people have and, and how people are coming to terms with their power. So mm-hmm. we learned that, well, we know that Blaze is a berserker and is struggling to contain his power. But he's not quite a berserker, right? Isn't that what we were saying? He, I feel like him and those two kids at the end are some other thing and he still has the potential to berserk, if you will. Yeah. But it's a little bit different than like the berserkers that we've seen used as weapons. But, well, I liked the way um, when they went back to the refugee camp and they meet Mina and she explains the magic, Mm -hmm. I thought that was a great way to visualize it because she's like, it's like water overflowing. Like sometimes the power fills you up to just the right amount and sometimes it overflows and you go mad. But Blaze didn't have enough power. He wasn't filled up enough to give him mind madness, so it wasn't overflowing but it was more power than a guardian has. So whenever he exerts energy, the magic essentially boils over. Mm -hmm. And and I think Cress is in the same boat where they, she has this power that's more than a guardian, but less than a berserker or less than a a mind mad person. It's partially controllable or partially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think, and I, and I loved this magic system because I love that it doesn't really follow a set of rules. Like, it's still a system and it still makes sense, but I love when Mina was like, yeah, it's it doesn't follow the rules because it's freaking magic. Like, <laughs> not everyone is going to be the same. Yeah. yeah, or there are rules, but we don't even fully understand them ourselves, right? right? So, like, 
like we don't know why some people do A and some people do B. We just know that A and B both exist or whatever. And I also love, I think I was sort of expecting Theo to also be, or I think she was also thinking that she had like some extreme power that just was waiting to be unleashed or something. And I like that she now um, does have some power, but it's actually like not that impressive. Right. It's pretty weak. because, <laughs> and, and that's confusing too, because Theo never went into the mine and she never, um, well, she has drinking the fire elixir now, but, but before mm-hmm. she did that, it was kind of confusing because she had some affinity for the for the gift, but yep. it wasn't coming to her. And so, and me and Mina or Mira, what is her name? Mina. She started explaining that there was like a phenomenon when children started exhibiting gifts before they even went into the mines. So I hope we learn more about like why Theo had power in the first place. And I think we will. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. So those are about the two kids. They were more like her, not like Blaze, right? Right, right, right. Okay, I was getting confused. There's too many uh, weird scenarios right now, which I also love how when she went and talked to Mina and they were like, oh, hypothetically. <laughs> but the con- again, it still made sense. Like, it didn't feel like it just a uh, brain dump to me. It felt hmm. like, yeah, she is a ruler, but she was so young. And these are like the elders in the community who like kind of, it felt very normal to like get information that way to me. But yeah, so now she has drank in this in Kachario fire elixir whatever and she does have a power that she can control but it's definitely not as strong as Cress's. Okay but I have another I have a question about that. So Cress just survived drinking it. To be fair she didn't drink a ton of it but did would Theo have survived but Art helped with the water just make it less bad or did because of okay. Because Cress thinks that Theo is dead. Oh she does think she's dead. Yeah. Cress thinks that Theo's dead and Soren is her captive now. And so that's going to be fun. Yeah. But yeah, Cress thinks that she's dead at this point. Well, I forget who said it. Someone was like, she's going to have to marry Soren because like the Kalaxians, I can't say their name either. Um, Kavalaxians or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They have always been like a patriarchal society. So people aren't going to just accept her as their leader. She has mm-hmm. to like marry Soren to make her rule legitimate. Um, so that'll be interesting to see if that is her plan and if she can pull that off or how that gets handled. Because I don't think Soren's going to be on board. <laughs> Poor Soren. Soren has been in prison for, I-, I would say, like 90% of this series. Like, he's always <laughs> in jail or like someone's captive. <laughs> And it literally doesn't matter what group of people he's with. He's been captured by like every, he, he has no allies <laughs> except Thea. Kind of funny, like every scene that Soren's involved in, it like takes place behind bars because he's always in prison. Which is also funny when you think about how this is a little bit of a damsel in distress story that's flipped on its head. Um, mm-hmm. And how, you know, I think at least at the beginning of the series, he saw himself as like being the hero who saves the damsel in distress. And in some ways, he's kind of the damsel in distress all the time. Like, he's not in distress necessarily, but he's, yeah, always locked up and needing saving. <laughs> Think about how different this book would have been from his perspective. Oh my god, it'd be so boring. It'd be like him <laughs> staring at his prison walls all day. But I, I feel like in some ways, if it, we had a gender reversal too, it, like, I feel like I've read that book, right? Where, like, the girl mm-hmm. just keeps getting locked up and, like, the guy keeps saving her or something. Like, I, I just, I love that this is it still feels a little bit fresh, even though there's certain familiar elements to it. I agree. Okay, question for you. Okay. What do you think is going to happen with our poor friend Blaze? He's going to 
berserk out in a blaze of glory. That's what I think is going to happen, too. Because he keeps trying to, like, use his power, even though it might kill him. And then he keeps being like, well, if I lose control, just make sure someone stabs me. And, oh, my God, that scene where he uses his power to blow up the Palavaxian ships at the mines, he starts to lose control. And then, like, Theo goes to kill him. And then Art is just like, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's just try knocking him out first. And I was just like, why didn't anyone think of this before? Like, why did it have to be so drastic? Like, if I lose control and I start to kill our our allies, make sure you stab me in the heart. (laughs) It's like, well, okay, like, let's maybe take a step back and like, just try to knock you unconscious first. (laughs) Like, Okay, this is actually really funny because have you ever seen Heroes, the show? Mm Mm-mm. So we just started watching it as part of our, like, quarantine time passing thing. And there's this person in the show who thinks he's going to explode and he gives someone a gun to shoot him. But earlier in the season, he, like, starts losing control and someone just, like, punches him in the face and he's fine. And I'm like, why don't we start with, like, yeah, start <laughs> yeah something else. Start with the non-fatal version. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. And I also think it's funny that he's so mad that she was the one who was going to stab him <laughs> or whatever. And it's like, you guys are like, they're, they're, and I, I get it. Like, it makes sense to me that they, their feelings would be hurt in these situations. But part of me is just like, you guys are being so dumb. Like, you're both getting your feelings hurt about such silly things when, with everything else going on. And it's like, you yeah. should understand each other. You're both trying to like, do what you think is right for your people, but also like, honor your friendship. And it's just, it's complicated. I get that. But it's just funny. He's like, I can't believe you were the one who was going to stab me. And she's like, it doesn't matter who's going to stab you, Blaze. You'll be dead. You won't care. And in some ways, I feel like that was her being like, I accept that this is what you have to do. Like, it wasn't like she was like, oh, I'm mad at you. I'm going to go stab you. She was like honoring his request. To be fair, he didn't ask her, but I don't know. She was also like, I feel like you want to play the hero. Yeah. And we did answer, we got, we got a question, an answer to the question that you had about the berserkers because you were very rightly confused about how the berserkers are controlled. Yeah. And so we learned that they're drugged and that like sedates them a little bit and makes them easier to control and then they're given gems and then once they have the gems, they it, like their powers kind of like pushes the- burst out of them. Yeah. Because that scene where... um we see the berserkers being let out of the mine and they have to shoot them so they can't be used. And then that there's like this <sighs> one girl left. Oh, I think that scene, that wasn't my, I won't say that was like my favorite scene because it was an awful scene, but that scene definitely like stood out to me the most where there's like this eight-year-old girl and no one can bring themselves to, to shoot her. And then she just like erupts into flames and like, causes all this destruction and especially because for the most part they hadn't seen it happen yet like I think possibly now that they've seen it someone could still see it as a mercy killing because she also died horribly when she burst into flames like I think now after having seen it people could more maybe justify in their mind yes it's worth it to like shoot her in the heart and give her like that's like a merciful Mm -hmm. death given the scenario but uh yeah That broke my heart. And the other death that really upset me was Hoya. Yeah. I was hope I was really loving getting to know her and it just felt way too quite short. Oh, so should we go back? We like I know I forced us to jump ahead. So we started poisoning suitors and then at some point the Kaiser dies and a couple of things happened in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) Um so yeah. 
she accidentally ate something intended for Eric, so she was the second poisoned suitor death, even though she wasn't a suitor. And we found out who the true poisoner was. Miss Coltana. Yeah. And she's the sister of the Chancellor. Correct. Okay. Who also rose to power in kind of mysterious circumstances, and now we're led to believe that she was the one, like, murdering his rivals as well. Yeah, and that was interesting because then that cleared up the question of who was really being targeted. And we learned that, yeah, it was the suitors being targeted because Coltana wanted Theo to marry her brother. And she was like hell-bent on making sure that that would happen. And the Archduke was the first one targeted because she overheard Theo say that he was her first choice. Yep. Wow. What if the bachelor, like the real-life bachelor, took that turn? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but also, isn't it... I loved that the Kaiser wasn't the bad guy. Like, I love, like, it's yeah. having all of these leaders with all these different motives together and then having the Kaiser from, like, across the ocean somehow get through would have been, I think, too much. Like, and I hope we haven't seen, yeah. even though I'm glad that they're gone temporarily, I kind of hope that we see some of these politics come back into play in the third book. Hmm. Because I still am curious about the Chancellor and his sister and... Me too. The Empress. Yeah. The, the Empress. Empress yeah. Um, and I guess we do see, so right before all this happened, we had another last minute suitor after Eric come. I forget his name now, but he was like a really old. Oh, oh, oh. The uh, Chief Capel from Victoria. Yeah. So he, he basically came and was like, you did the right thing when I did not. And even though I don't have much to offer you, like it's yours kind of thing. And I just, I loved that too. And it's, Mm-hmm. You know, it is nice to see the world changing a little bit because no one came to their aid 10 years ago or whatever when mm-hmm. people first came up. And, like, now you're seeing, oh, yeah, we there, there are these groups of people who can unite against the bad guy kind of thing. Yeah, because she has Victoria and she mm-hmm. has Eric's country. As meager as they are, at least it's something. And now, I mean, what a great idea to liberate the refugee camp yeah. and use them because a lot of them want to fight and I thought that was a great plan like free the refugees go liberate the mines free the slaves there and like if you keep liberating mine after mine you're eventually going to have an army yeah do you think though we're going to get to another scene like a showdown between Cress and Theo is that what it's going to come down to absolutely and yeah do you think Theo is going to be able to kill Cress I don't know because we we've seen Theo kill a couple people. I mean, she's, she killed Impelio. She killed Coltana when Coltana mm-hmm. um, tried to drug her and kidnap her in this second half. I think it's difficult because she... Cress is similar to Impelio, right? Like, they have a history. They were friends growing up. Like, I think it would be very difficult for her to kill Cress. But because she killed Impelio, I feel like she might be able to kill Cress. I still feel like that was a different death, though, because he was telling her that she needed to. Wanted her to kill him. That's like a, like, it's almost like she was pre-forgiven for it, almost, even though I know she doesn't feel that way, but, um, I, and I also, I keep forgetting, part of me is like, okay, I, you know, have grown up as a teenage girl and, like, had good friends that I'm no longer close to, and not that I would want to kill any of them, but I, like, get that, like, falling out and, like, whatever, but then I'm like, this was... They literally, they, what did they call each other? Hearts, sisters, or something like that. Um, it was her right. only friend in this, like, horrible thing for 10 years, from age 6 to 16. Like, they were so close. And she, I think, 
you know, we saw Crest wasn't always even, like, the perfect friend or anything, but she knew her and accepted her, and it's still so, like, it's not like it's been 10 years. This was, like, three months ago or whatever. Very sudden. Yeah. And I don't know. So do you think Crest is going to die? But not at her hand, not at Theo's hand. Okay. This is what I think is going to happen. And probably 80% of this is wrong. But Cress and Theo are going to have some kind of showdown moment where they have some big conversation with some biting truths in it. And Theo's going to have a chance to kill Cress and she's going to choose not to, or she's going to hesitate. And then Cress is going to be about to kill Theo. And then Soren or Blaze or someone else kills Cress. And as she's dying, she says something good and then Theo is like oh I can't believe you did that that's what I think is gonna happen (laughs) okay I love the drama of that scenario I I didn't realize I had given it that much thought but I saw that whole thing playing out in my mind it happens in the dead garden that her mom loved (laughs) by the way Okay, I think that Cress is going to die. I think Cress is going to take herself out, either by accident or by choice. Either, um... Interesting. She will come to a point where she knows she can't win, and so she will kind of, like, do what Blaze has been threatening to do and, like, go berserk. She'll berserk out and, like, destroy some things in the process, (laughs) but take herself out as well. Okay, I like your your version of I think mine seems a little to what happens in other books. We'll see. <gasps> but. Oh, but what? Okay. What is going to happen, though, with um, Theo entering the mine now? Because. Oh, we, yeah. I totally forgot. Yeah, oh, my goodness. We end this book with Theo having this theory where, and I love this theory. This is brilliant. So she was like, my gift and. Cress's gift and Blaze's gift, it's like perverted in some way. Like it's an abomination mm-hmm. because it wasn't chosen. It was forced on them. So like they never went into the mines willingly. And the guardians who have power that they can control, they chose to go into the mines to like present themselves to the gods. And so I love yep. this theory that she's testing where she's going to go into the mine willingly and see if it can heal her power in some way or give her control over her power yeah although and I think it's gonna work I know I actually kind of think it is too but I kind of don't want it to I kind of like this idea of her being the queen but not being like the most powerful or like her going against Cress with less to offer I think especially because we started out the story with you know she was like a survivor and she didn't you know she like survived on her wits and like I hope even if she does come out with stronger or more control of her power I hope it's not like some crazy on me like I still kind of hope she's the underdog yeah I agree because I think I forget who said it but they were like do you even need your power like you've been operating thus far without it so yeah don't Mm -hmm. feel like you need this power to win because you don't and I I do like that idea but I do hope it does like I think that would be the way that we can most understand Cross's power is watching mm. Theo come to terms with her own or understanding it better. So from that sense, I hope we do get some more answers and stuff. But I hope that she doesn't come out like super strong, crazy, powerful, under control mm. queen lady. Because I like her being this kind of unsuspecting queen or this, yeah, survivor yeah. role. Like, I, I like that part of her character. So we'll see. I agree. We'll see. Um, what kind of research did you do this week? 
Okay, so I actually, I don't know if we've looked into this before. It seems like something we would have done, but I couldn't remember specifically. But so in the scene after the first poison murder, they talk about truth serum and they were Mm. talking about how uh, when Soren's captured for the second or fifth or whatever time that is, (laughs) they weren't going to let him go until there was another truth serum. So I was kind of looking up some of the history about... Because it's a common element in a lot mm-hmm. of the books we read and stuff, but there there's no such thing as a true truth serum. But I was sort of looking at some of the history of, of that. Okay, I love that. Yeah, so this is kind of an interesting story. Like, during World War II, the U.S. had this spy agency called the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, and they had their scientists focus on creating a truth drug so that they could interrogate prisoners of war. Mm. And the first drug that they tried was called mescaline, and it's a hallucinogenic cactus derivative. And they also experimented with scopolamine, which is the twilight sleep drug that had, like in the 1920s and 1930s, been like considered sort of a truth serum. But both of these tests uh, made the people who tried it too sick to like reveal any useful information. Mm -hmm. So then they switched over and they used marijuana. Um, <laughs> so they did like a tasteless, colorless, odorless extract called TD that could be injected into their target cigarettes. Mm. So they would, yeah, give it to someone in their cigarettes and like while they were interrogating them, let them smoke these cigarettes. And in general, it would just kind of like relax inhibitions and make certain areas of the brain that govern like caution and stuff mm. number. Um, and they also said that it would, the sense of humor is accentuated to a point where any statement or situation can become extremely funny to the subject. So basically they were just, you know, uh, smoking marijuana. Um, (laughs) but so then this OSS narcotics agent, George H. White gave the substance its first field test in August of 1943 on a guy named August, August Little Augie Del Gracio. <laughs> he was a drug dealing New York yankster with connections to mobster Lucky Luciano. Um, so he <laughs> arranged a meeting with this guy and plied him with these spiked cigarettes and listened <laughs> as the gangster became obviously high and extremely garrulous. Oh my god. Um, and I guess this, this Del Gracio guy just went on like a two hour monologue where he had felt compelled to, like, give an in-depth account of his whole drug trafficking network. So everyone's like, great, this is a success. Like, let's do it again. So then the second meeting, this guy got too stoned. So he just oh felt pins and needles on his hands and feet and laid down for a nap. So they were what? like, okay, that maybe didn't work as well as we thought it would. So, <laughs> so then there's a different test uh, a little bit later on 30 Americans who are suspected of being communists and... Five of them admitted to communist sympathies, but when they tried to use the substance to gather, like, true intelligence, they accidentally switched the cigarettes, so the interrogator (gasps) smoked the cigarettes and started ranting about their boss making a pass on his wife. Oh my god! (laughs) Could you imagine how confused that person was? Yeah, like, you think you're about to be interrogated and some guy comes... And, like, can you imagine also being, like, his co-workers watching this interrogation and being like, he's talking about our boss, or, like... Stay on track. Does he know what he's doing? Um, so, anyways, basically, at the end of these experiments, um, it wasn't really used 
effectively during the war and they concluded it wasn't any more effective than giving people alcohol or caffeine. Well, I was going to say alcohol would be, like, if you wanted to think of a truth serum that exists, like, alcohol loosens everyone's tongue. Yeah, and that was actually, like, what they used to do in ancient Greece and probably even earlier. They thought that, um... Basically, it would loosen your tongue. and But what they found is that things like this usually will help if you're not super trained. Like, if you're a compulsive liar <laughs> or if you, you know, have worked really hard to, like, if you're, like, a true spy, probably you've gone through some kind of training or something. You're more likely to tell the truth or, like, not overthink things if you're under the influence of a lot of these substances. But they can't mm. ever prove if you're telling the truth or not, right? So it's not like there's something that can, like, make you incapable of lying. So especially, like, compulsive True. liars and things, they, like, convince themselves that they'll, like, stay committed to their story. But some of these different things that they've used in the past will basically relax people enough to not, like, put in the extra effort of lying. Because for most mm. people, telling a lie requires a little bit more, like, cognition um so but they're also found that a lot of times people are also more susceptible to suggestion under different influences so another thing that they did for a while was there was like a time in the late 19th century where they really believed in hypnosis as a way to coax out buried truths and I know we've talked about that to some extent in previous episodes where like false memories and stuff like you can under hypnosis be convinced of things that never actually happened depending Mm -hmm. on how questions are worded and whatnot and um, again usually hypnosis only works if or there's a lot of skepticism about how and if it works in general but um, especially if you're unwilling you can't usually be hypnotized so it didn't Mm -hmm. really work for interrogation techniques because no one was like yeah let me let you (laughs) hypnotize me or whatever you know um but my favorite story was just like that they were using marijuana and this guy accidentally uh switched the cigarettes That's so and funny. yeah <laughs> um overall like this idea of truth drugs has been around for a long time and for the most part the best that they can do is create drugs that can make you a again like alcohol or something like a little bit less inhibited and a little mm-hmm. less likely to put in the cognitive energy to like tell a lie or something like that so so yeah um again there, there's a lot of like scientific chemical terms and stuff that I didn't really uh bother learning that well but but yeah those are some of the, some of the kind of fun stories I read I did something kind of similar okay um so I was inspired by when Coltana poisons the Archduke. Okay. There's a servant girl who they thought that she was the person who poisoned the wine. And so they give her the truth serum. And to be fair, she was the person who poisoned the wine. Yes. And she she confesses, tells the truth as she sees it. Mm -hmm. And then before she can confess more, she bites down on a poisoned pill that kills her. Yeah. Although, okay, I have a question about that real quick before you go into this. Do you think that Coltana forced her to take that pill while they were being interrogated with the truth serum? Or do you think she really did have the pill and took it herself? I don't know. Okay, go on. You can tell your story now. That's a good question. Well, I researched cyanide pills. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I figured. Okay. So tell us about it. So cyanide is a poison that is really, really fast acting. So the way it works is it, it quote unquote, induces extreme chemical suffocation of cells. And completely disrupts, like, the cell process. And it does it in about one to three minutes. 
if it's at high doses and if it's in the air. Is it something, like, if you're being poisoned by cyanide, would you know it? Is it, like, odorless and tasteless and things like that, or would you? I don't know. I mean, it was, um, hydrogen cyanide was what the Nazis used in concentration camp gas chambers. Okay. And it they said it killed in one to three minutes. I don't know if it's, like, odorless and tasteless, but I imagine it's not. So when we swallow cyanide, it's usually one of the salts. So it's either potassium cyanide or sodium cyanide. And sodium cyanide is slightly more toxic, but either of them will kill with very little amounts. So between 100 and 300 milligrams, and it can kill you in about five minutes. Yeah. The most universally agreed on history is back to World War II. Um, there were spies that carried suicide pills in case they were captured, and they were called L-pills. Okay. And L stood for lethal. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the International Spy Museum in Washington, they um, have eyeglasses on display that have an L-pill compartment. And so if you were a captured spy, you could chew on the arm of these eyeglasses and release the poison. Oh my goodness. I can't imagine. I mean, I guess I'm glad in some ways that that was there. And I guess if you knew you were going to be like tortured terribly and then killed anyways, yep. like that it would be better to have a quick death without like betraying your country or something. But still, can you imagine like, no, I feel like there'd be some part of me that would just hope that there was another way. And if you waited too long, I don't know, they'd find the pill or whatever, right? It would be. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we'll ever be in this situation. So You don't think so? Probably don't have to worry I like to it. be prepared. <laughs> if I'm ever thrown out of a spaceship, I want to know what to expect. If I'm ever captured by the enemy spies and I have my cyanide <laughs> pill, I want to know what my options are. Um, they oh. also have, in World War II, the L-pill was also um, disguised in an oval capsule that was about the size of a pea, and it was a glass ampoule, like a, like a glass capsule, and then it was covered in brown rubber to protect against accidental breakage. And um, then it was filled with really concentrated potassium cyanide. Um, and it could be carried in your mouth and it could be shaped like a false tooth. And what was interesting was if you accidentally swallowed it, it would pass through the body and it, would, it wouldn't harm you because it was covered in this like rubber. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So to activate it, you had to bite down on the pill, crush the glass and release the poison. I was going to say, too, I could, like, well, not that I chew on my glasses when I'm nervous, but, like, I, what, it, some people I feel like do have, like, nervous tics. Could you imagine, like, accidentally being, like, <laughs> Like, oh, people who chew on no. ice. <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently, it is a urban legend that NASA gives their astronauts suicide pills. Um, I guess there's a legend that NASA gives astronauts pills in case they're unable to return to Earth. But this has been debunked because there are plenty other ways for marooned astronauts to commit suicide up in space. <laughs> they don't need a pill of cyanide to do that. But so, I mean, it's a quick death. Is it a painful death? Um, I don't know. The Because um, I feel like a lot of the ways we read about where you at least accidentally die in space were not good ways to go. Well, okay. Do you want to hear something crazy? Yeah. So there's a video online. I did not watch it. I'm not crazy, but there is a video of 
something that happened in 2012. There was a banker who was sentenced to 7 to 21 years in prison for some kind of fraudulence activity. I forget exactly what it was, but he was mm-hmm. found guilty and had this sentence and he was he was a former investment banker and after the jury found him guilty, there's a video of him putting something into his mouth, swallowing, and then putting something else into his mouth and swallowing, and then immediately after he went into convulsions and then was pronounced dead. Mm. So the widely held belief is that he had a suicide pill, essentially, had some kind of cyanide pill and had it on him and took it when the jury pronounced him guilty. So I didn't... Okay, wouldn't he have been going to, like, a white-collar prison? I feel like for 7 to 21 years, that is not worth it. Yeah, I have no idea why he did this, but it happened in Arizona. Oh, really? Yeah, you should look this up. It's it's the Wild West. It's crazy out here, guys. I think part of it was he set his own house on fire to, like... Like insurance fraud? Yeah, but, I mean, there's a video of it happening, so I I don't want to watch it, but I think if you did, that would maybe tell you whether or not it was painful or not. Yeah, I might, I don't need to know that bad. Uh, Yeah, I don't (laughs) recommend watching it. Um, There are some other examples of people taking suicide pills, so I guess it's probably the most famous is Hitler, Adolf Hitler and Eva Brown committed suicide using pills that contain cyanide salts. I forgot about that, but yeah. Yeah. So this actually brings up another point for the book, though. And, okay, I think I've thought through it enough to justify this, but part of me, if suicide pills were a thing and relatively whatever, why doesn't Theo just get one if she, like, wants to be killed rather than go back into captivity for the other side? Like, she should just have one of those handy instead of asking someone who loves her to shoot her. Right, I know. They're they're just all about drama, these people. (laughs) (laughs) That was awful when she was like... Yeah, ask the person who loves you the most to to kill you so you don't have to go back and serve the Kaiser. I mean, yeah, part of me is like, okay, I guess I'd rather someone I love shoot me than someone who... But at the same time, that would be a horrible thing to do to the person you love, to be like, now you have to live with killing me. Blaze, too. They're just... Sometimes they act like teenagers. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Any more good stories of people... Not good. Any other stories of people taking suicide I mean, not good ones. I mean, there was the the cult that um, oh, yeah. the, um, People's Temple cult in Jonestown where they had to drink the cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. Oh, okay. So they say it's not in any way a painless death. Your entire body starts to convulse. Then your mouth Ugh. fills with saliva, blood, and vomit. Then you pass out and then you die. That sounds terrible. Your body is completely deprived of oxygen and it's a horrific death. Okay, that actually makes sense. Wasn't um the guy from S Town? It's by the same people who did Serial. Oh yeah, I didn't listen to that one, but I do remember now. It was about John B. Macklemore, and he killed himself by drinking potassium cyanide. Actually, okay, so that makes more that makes sense. So it's pretty painful because they described how he died when he took that, and it was not it was not a pleasant death. Mm. I went dark this week. Well, you know. We can only go as light as the books allow us to. I looked at Truth Serum, which wasn't much better. Although I went with the story about the guy who accidentally got high while interrogating someone. So that was kind of light. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I also feel like that would totally be me as an interrogator on accident. And then you eat like a bunch of donuts afterwards. (laughs) 
Or even, like, without the drugs, just being like, oh, like, if I share some stories, then they'll be more likely to, like, tell the truth to me. Like, let me just, like, unle- like unload this, like, random... I don't know. I just, like, could see myself oversharing. <laughs> um, what else do you got? Um, not much else. I really just want to jump into this third book, to be honest. Me too. Should we read a little bit about it? Yeah. Okay, so the last book is called Ember Queen. Let's hope this synopsis is better than the last one I read. I know. I hope it's not just, <laughs> yeah, what was the last one? It was like, there's a queen and she used to be a prisoner and now she's not. Good luck or something. <laughs> like, it was so big. <laughs> it was a little bleak. Okay. Princess Theodosia was a prisoner in her own country for a decade. Renamed the Ash Princess, she endured relentless abuse and ridicule from the Kaiser and his court. But though she wore a crown of ashes, there is fire in Theo's blood. As the rightful heir to the Astrian crown, it runs in her veins. And if she's learned nothing else from her mother, she learned that a queen never cowers. Now free with a misfit army of rebels to back her, Theo must liberate her enslaved people and face a terrifying new enemy, the new Kaiserin. Imbued with magic no one understands, the Kaiserin is determined to burn down anyone and anything in her way. The Kaiserin's strange power is growing stronger, and with Prince Zorin as her hostage, there is more at stake than ever. Theo must learn to embrace her own power if she has any hope of standing against the girl she once called her heart's sister. Again, not much. No. Although I guess I kind of like it because in some ways I hate when they like spoil too much in the backer and the inside flap, especially like even standalone books. Sometimes if I know, what was the one I just read? The girl with the louding voice parted Hmm. the back of the book or the inside cover or whatever described certain things that were going to happen and I felt like until they happened I was just waiting for them to happen and it was like actually pretty far into the book and I sort of feel like now in retrospect I wish I had like appreciated that part of the journey more instead of just being like okay I know x is about to happen like when's it gonna you know but anyways so at least they don't spoil it (laughs) they didn't give us much at all but I'm excited to read this book yeah and we are going to read up to the chapter entitled ghost that's about um a halfway point Oh, I did. Now that I have all this free time and have gotten into Instagram better, I did Instagram stalk her a little bit and she has some a really cute puppy. Aww. What kind of puppy? Uh, I think it was like an Aussie doodle or something. Aww. I can't remember now, but... You love those doodle mixes. I do. They're just so cute. I know. You haven't told, you haven't told our audience about Ace yet. Oh, yeah. I guess if you follow us on Instagram, you probably saw. But now there are twice as many barking noises on my side of the podcast so just wait for the bloopers this time ace actually is like a really funny bark he just sounds kind of like an old man he's it's like very deep and like um but we rescued a little coton de tulier or something like that which is very fancy in french that's the kind of dog he is say it again i'm probably saying it wrong Coton de Tulier. Oh, I love that. I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's like a little tiny cotton ball, basically, <laughs> and they don't shed, which is part of why we agreed to take him. But um, he's seven and a half, and he was going to be euthanized, so <laughs> we are happy to give him a home, and he's adjusting very well. Toby is a little bit uh, not sure why he hasn't left yet, but they're getting <laughs> along for the most part, so it's been really fun. <laughs> He's uh, adjusting to life as a younger sibling. Yes. But yeah, they're really cute together and Good. Ace seems very happy to be here. So we're, we're excited for our new addition. I'm glad he's doing well. Um, any other predictions for book three? I guess we kind of talked about it. No, I'm good. Did you have a favorite scene? I mean, I shared my mm. horrifically favorite scene. I, don't, I think if I like was seeing it as a movie, it would have to be something in that land that I can't pronounce just because it's so 
mm. over the top with like the jewels and the decorations and I just like think that'd be fun to look at oh another one that would maybe be cool would be the pirate fight with blaze um like destroying the ships from afar and seeing them like all go invisible and like fly through the water and like some like that could be kind of a cool scene maybe because you see some some of the magic i like when they use their powers to like do things like that like manipulate the water and become invisible that's it's cool we don't really often see them use their powers to like fight very often yeah i bet we'll see a lot of it in this new book the cover looks kind of cool oh i guess that's probably the fire gen yeah, I would think so. Um, okay. Do you want to hear a joke? Yes. Okay, I looked up Harry Potter dad jokes, but they're not very good. Okay. How do you rate Harry Potter the series on a scale of 1 to 10? Hmm, I don't know. 9 and 3 quarters. <laughs> oh. Um, okay. When a Quidditch commentator starts coughing, what does he become? Mm, a quaffle? I don't know. A bit Weasley. Oh, God. <laughs> they're, they're just not very good, these ones. There's a lot about Voldemort's nose. Like, Why? Oh, like because he doesn't have one? Yeah, like there was one. What advice would Pinocchio give to Voldemort? Voldy, you just have to lie to get a real nose. <laughs> I'm like, that's not even a joke. And this, this one isn't really a good joke, but Voldy. I still laughed at it. It goes, imagine a conversation between Dumbledore, Professor Snape, and Sirius Black. Professor Snape goes, Headmaster, I am afraid to say that the Dark Lord has returned. Dumbledore responds, What? Are you serious? And then Professor Snape goes, No, I am Severus. <laughs> so these are just bad. I need to find a new website, I think. <laughs> oh, here's another one. You see Snape standing in the middle of the road. Do you know why? No. Because no one ever really knows which side he's actually on. <laughs> oh, God. That's true. That's very true. Uh- <laughs> I had a bumper sticker when I was in high school that said, trust Snape. (laughs) And it was like back before you knew he was good because the two options were Snape is a very bad man or trust Snape. (laughs) Love it. Oh, man. Mm. Okay. If you guys want to get in touch with us to... Oh, wait. There's one more that's kind of funny. Okay. Why do Hogwarts girl students always go to the bathroom together? I don't know. Because going alone is fatal to a girl student's life. Myrtle died in the bathroom while crying alone. Hermione was attacked when she went to the bathroom alone. Jenny got abducted from the girl's bathroom. And lastly, Katie got cursed in the girl's bathroom. (laughs) Very good point. Always pee with a party. Yeah, that's why. Okay, those were dumb. Anyways, sorry, what were you saying? (laughs) If you want to get in touch with us and share some really bad Harry Potter jokes with us, because clearly we like them a lot. Um, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook at mnktalkya, and you can see Ace there if you would like to see what our new puppy looks like. Super cute. All right. We will see you next week. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.